Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back, guys. DGS on KMOX. My next guest, very excited to talk to. Uh, John Butterworth is a professor of physics at University College London. He works on the Atlas experiment at the CERN Large Hadron Collider. He is uh, calling us from the UK where it is, carry the three, April. Uh, (laughs) John, great to talk to you. Thanks for spending a few minutes with us. Hi, Dave. I hope you can hear me okay. Yeah, sound great. So, John, I know a little bit about this just because I'm a power dork, and it's just my hobby, and I love everything about it. So if there was a way to be an astrophysicist, but you didn't have to do fractions, <laughs> like I would be the guy, I love the theories, I understand the language, I just completely go dark when it comes to the equation, so I'm really into this stuff. Let's start at the beginning. Uh, let's start with what the Large Hadron Collider is, We'll build from there, please. Sure, sure. So it's a tu- it's a tunnel underground on the Swiss French border, actually near Geneva, um, twenty seven kilometers round, um, which is you know a long. What is that in miles? I should know in miles, but it's you know it's about twenty miles mm-hmm. round, um, and it's full of um, superconducting magnets. And what it's doing is steering and focusing the two highest energy beams of particles we've ever had in the lab. Um, in any lab anywhere, <laughs> and and bringing them to head-on collision um, at four points on that ring. And then we detect what happens when they collide, and that gives us insights into the fundamental constituents of nature and the fundamental forces that bind them together. And, and John, of course, with anything these days, there are conspiracy theories, and people may know the Large Hadron Collider, because back in 2012, or whenever you guys were looking for the Higgs boson, it was, oh, they're going to create a black hole, it's going to end, we're going to go into another dimension. Was there <laughs> any real discussion between physicists and, uh, and scientists about this, or was this all internet silliness? Um, it was mostly internet silliness. The the bit the the grain of truth in it, if you like, was the fact that there were serious theories that we might create black holes, but you could very quickly convince yourself that if we could create them, then they would also fall apart so quickly that um, they wouldn't have any noticeable effects on our universe. So there was a nugget of truth in it because um, if the Higgs hadn't been there, then one of the alternative theories was, hey, what if these particles form mini black holes? For a moment, when you when you collide them, but you may, I don't know if you've heard of Hawking radiation. This is what actually black holes do decay, mm-hmm. and the big ones it takes some ages, the age of the universe, to to disappear. But these tiny little ones would have fallen apart immediately. 
So you could, there were very generic arguments that we weren't going to do anything that silly. I mean, I've got a family, you know, I don't want to go and destroy that. <laughs> right, right. And John, within the CERN, tell us about the Atlas experiment itself. Sure. I mean, Atlas is, is a, it's, you can think of it as the biggest, fastest, highest resolution digital camera that we knew how to build. And it's built by a multinational um, collaboration of um, physicists, including many Americans, actually. Um, and it's uh, it, it's there to record everything we possibly can, really, about what happens when we collide these protons together. We go to a lot of effort to create the collisions. So when they happen, we really want to record absolutely everything that happens. And that's how we learn what's going on in the heart of the collision. That's how we discovered the Higgs. So that's that's Atlas does that. And there's another one called CMS, which is kind of diametrically opposite on the ring, just so that we keep each other honest and uh, double check each other and things. And that's what we do. We take pictures of the collisions and then try and do detective work to work out what happened in the collision. So, John, as I understand it, again, mostly from watching how the universe works, uh, that it's still very much a mystery what dark energy and dark matter are. And uh, we can we can detect it, but we can't see it. And uh, what does your work have to do with that? It's yeah, so we, we do. We have good astrophysical evidence for the presence of dark energy and dark matter, um, which you say we, we can see that it's there kind of because we we can see its gravitational influence um the i was i must say i don't it's very there are some theories that connect dark energy with the large hadron collider but they're pretty tenuous but dark matter we're on fir firmer ground dark matter is supposed to be um matter which is left out was created in the big bang and is now actually something like 80 percent of the mass of the universe and because of the way galaxies move and things, we can hypothesize, we can explain it by saying this extra matter is there, mm -hmm. but we don't know what it's made of. Um, and we have this standard model of particle physics, which has got leptons and quarks and the Higgs and all these other things in it. It doesn't have that matter in it. So the hope is that by going to these very high energies, we might be able to create dark matter particles. And the, the the funny thing is, you would you definitely wouldn't detect them if they were dark matter. You wouldn't be able to see them because they'd be dark. Mm -hmm. That's why we haven't seen it already. Um, but you could because the detectors are so good, they could probably see that something's missing. Um, so you have a load of stuff flying in one direction, but nothing balancing it, and that that could be the first sign that we've made some dark matter in the lab. We'll see. We're still looking. We haven't seen it yet, but we we're going to get something like a hundred times. Yeah more data than we have right now so we, we've still got a good chance so we're talking to john butterworth if you're just joining us he's a professor of physics university college london and works on the uh the atlas experiment at the, the large hadron collider uh so john with uh with the large hadron collider and with the web telescope and i'm sure there will be more technologies coming out you're a relatively young man what are your realistic ex uh, expectations and aspirations of things, questions that might be answered during your career with all of the advancements that we're making? So I think that I, I would, you know, my ambition, I would love to know that I think that matter is the number one puzzle at the moment for me. And I would love to know what it is. And I think we have a realistic chance of that. Um, with the telescope observations, and, and this is the weird thing, right? The, the, with the with CERN, we're we're studying the very very smallest stuff in the in the universe that we can see. The the Webb Telescope is looking on the biggest scales of what we can see, and the theories we have connect those things together. And I find that I find that really really fascinating. So 
I know that we will make incremental progress addressing these issues. I think we're exploring. So we could be lucky, we could be unlucky as to whether we find an answer anytime soon. I think all we can do is keep looking. But my, my hope is that there's some, one of these connections between the very large and the very small suddenly comes up and, and, and everyone kind of slaps her forehead and goes, my goodness, that's what that's what we were looking for. <laughs> it, it, you know, we, it, but we're in the unknown, we're exploring. So I think that exploring in itself is a thrill because you, you're looking at things that no one's ever seen before. You hope that when you do that, you get an answer to one of these outstanding problems. And my favorite would be to find out what Dharmatra is. John, I was reading uh, a piece that, that you wrote, I believe, for the BBC. I know you wrote it earlier in the fall, but I think I was reading it last week about the potential tie in here with anti-gravity. And we can all kind of picture like what would the benefits be of that? I, I, it's a really complicated article. I won't sum it up. I'll let you do it a little bit better than I could possibly do it. But I find that to be a fascinating next realm. And then I guess tying into that, what are the steps necessary to get to where you want to be? Are they technological or are they just time oriented and you need time to go through the process? Uh, yeah, you need time and money and technology. That's all I say. The experiment I was writing about there is actually a different experiment at CERN as well, where they've made anti-hydrogen and for the first time they'd actually been able to make enough of it and keep it from annihilating long enough that they could see that it actually falls down rather than up which means that gravity acts on on antimatter in the same way that it acts on matter which if you want to build a, an anti-gravity skateboard or something that's a bit of a disappointment really <laughs> it would have been better if it was the other way around so i, I don't really i i think um Anti-gravity as technology is a long, long way away, but dark energy that you mentioned earlier is actually a form of anti-gravity. Anti, anti that was, I think, what I mentioned in the article. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, with, with dark energy, we know it operates... What, what dark energy is actually is just a label for the fact that the universe is accelerating. So we, I guess you're familiar with the idea that the universe is expanding. But I think most people, when I was starting out in physics, most people thought that it must be slowing down, um, but actually it's speeding up, it's expanding faster and faster. And that's what we call dark energy. Whatever's driving that mm. process is dark energy. And, and it's a, so it's a form of antimatter because it looks like the, uni the matter in the universe is propelling itself from each other, which is very weird and we don't know what it is. <laughs> John, last question. This is a bit of just a selfish question. I, I have, like, Avi Loeb is a, a consistent contributor, uh, but I haven't asked him this question, and it's something I don't quite understand yet. So the known universe, that what we can see the, the, the going back to as far as we can go back, and I've heard it explained as if you were in a dark room and you took a flashlight and th that's what you can see. Do we know the known universe What's our best guess at whether the known universe is everything that there is, or if it's 1% of everything there is, or if it could just be infinite? Do we have any idea of that, and how could we possibly find out? So our best guess is that it's a small part of a much bigger universe, which is probably finite, I would say. Interesting. And the reason I say that is that it all kind of looks the same. I mean, not in a boring way. It's just that the stars that the Webb telescope is seeing and the galaxies look kind of like the ones that we we um, see in the nearer bits of the universe, except that they look, they're, they're younger because the light has taken so long to get to us that they were seeing them as they were billions of years ago. 
but it all looks it looks as though the laws of physics are the same it looks as though the distribution of matter is the same and that means that probably the universe was all was all together at the big bang there was a um it it was all in one all in contact with each other and then there's this process called inflation that means it breaks contact and as the universe gets older the light from these places is still coming to us and if that light was our first communication then it doesn't make sense that everything looks the same if you see what i mean i do I'm not sure i'm sure i'm explaining that very well but it looks like we're a, a bit of flat a bit of flat surface on a very big expanding balloon if you like we don't really see a significant curve or change. We just see it looking flat. And that's a sign that maybe it's a small bit of a bigger hole. Um, but yeah, I, I, but it's, you know, the best way to find out about these things that we have is this combination of looking at what's there, like the telescopes do, and also studying the laws of physics like we do at the Large Hadron Collider and trying to put together a consistent picture using both of those things. And it's always a little provisional, right? You're always... It's a best guess at some level. You know some things are definitely wrong, but but there are always things where you're, you know, it's a matter of opinion or a matter of a matter of judgment whether you think this is most likely or not, and very often we're wrong. Uh, that's John Butterworth, professor of physics, University College London. John, where do people follow you and your writings? Um, I uh, probably I have a blog called lifeandphysics.com. Maybe that's the best place. Excellent. John, we'd love to have you back sometime. We'll continue to follow your work. Thank you so much. Brilliant. Thank you very much. <sighs> That's really interesting, isn't it? Most of it blows my mind. Like, as you can conceptualize it, but the fact that he and others are physically measuring it and creating um, in experiments in this large underground yeah. tunnel that help you understand what's happening billions of light years away yeah. is phenomenal. Isn't it a fascinating concept that... Uh, we are quite used to finding our limits physically. You know, I could do nothing but train for the next five years and I'm not going to dunk a basketball, right? I, I can feel that. I can sense it. But then you can also sense it intellectually when, like, I'm tracking, I'm tracking, I'm tracking, I'm blank. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you, you know? Yeah. And it's not just me. It's John Butterworth, too. It was Stephen Hawking as well. There comes a point where the the electric meat we have in our skull just isn't sufficient to really uh, picture a concept. Like, true eternity. You know, I can give it a shot. It's a really, really long time. <laughs> but you get to a point where you're like, I, d d nope, I'm out. Yeah. I, I mean, nothing. you run into that issue where how does how does a person who is not infinite, who is finite, very, mu yeah. very much finite, even conceptualize forever? Yeah. And isn't it amazing that just a few thousand years ago, we were still skinning deer carcasses with flint and... A hundred years ago, this and fifty years ago, that is just amazing. And where we're going to be, you know, by the time you and I are old guys, well, too late. Uh, <laughs> Two twenty-five DGS. You think John Butterworth's texting his friends like, "What a couple of idiots I just like, talked to." I was to. just no on. No, he's no. like, "I was just on the smartest radio show of all time," and I had to. <laughs> I had to go on the air in St. Louis, USA, to make that happen. He's probably texting Avi right now. I never know when <laughs> I when I book like. Uh, uh, out of the country guests, I never know whether to specify because I'm like St. Louis, Missouri, USA. Do you guys know about St. Louis, Missouri? 
there. No, that's I get it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's like you, I mean, it's it fair. Like, like if you pick the St. Louis of of the UK, would yeah. we know it right off the top of our head? So I've never been in the Arch, and I've lived here my entire life. And I remember when my buddies and I went to Europe, we went there for a few months after law school, just backpacked and stuff. And we got to Rome and we're going we're going to go see the Colosseum. You're in Rome. You got to go see the Colosseum. Mm-hmm. Oh, first thing is the circuses, which are the enormous uh, racetracks, tracks, yeah. basically yeah. for, you know, like Ben-Hur and all that stuff. Yeah. We got to one and we decided to run around it. <laughs> Yeah. So after about 400 <laughs> yards in the summer, we're all like, <laughs> it's super big. Yeah, man. it's like a it's bucket list. We're going to run around the whole thing. Like, let's, let's go get a hot dog. So we're looking for the Coliseum. So, of course, we asked the prettiest girls we could find, and they were Roman, and they're like, yeah, we've never been. Like, I don't know. I think it's on the east side of town. You've never been to the Coliseum, but I've never been in the arch. So. But you've been to the arch. You've just never been up in it. Yes. Same here. I've, I've touched the arch. I'm scared of the tram or whatever it's called. I know it's perfectly safe, but there's something about it. I'm just a little trepidatious. Yeah. I'm not afraid of the height. Uh, if there is any fear in it, it's the claustrophobia. Mm, yeah. Which I'm getting worse about. Are you? Yeah, I am. Me too. I, I, 10 years ago, if someone would have asked, I would have said, nope, absolutely not. No claustrophobia at all. But I think TikTok has ruined me. Like, you'll just, <laughs> you'll see these scenarios and you're like, gah, that looks terrible. I saw one the other day of someone who was stuck, like, face down in a cave. Yes. Did you see that one? peanut butter cave. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that was, was awful. Up. One of the worst deaths ever. And it's like, oh, <laughs> just showing up on my TikTok feed, a quick little for you page. Mm-hmm. Like, don't ever do this, There is kids. weird stuff that shows up. Yeah. Like, just very brutal animal things. Sometimes people things as well. Just Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. 237 DGS. Do some audio? Sure. I have a piece of audio here 
It's a minute long. It might not be worth playing, but I can just kind of summarize it really quick. This is uh, an author named Garrett Graff. He wrote a book called UFO, and he was on Meet the Press yesterday. And he basically just said there's something real there when it comes to UFOs, and the government is definitely hiding something. Ooh, one of my audios ties right into that. Oh, what's yours? So is it, I don't know what it's labeled, but it may be Andrew Cuomo. Yeah, we've got so it right Andrew here. Cuomo was on News Nation, obviously, friend of the show. And he had Tim Burchett from Tennessee, a uh, Republican who's Chris been... Cuomo? Chris Cuomo? I'm sorry, did I say Andrew? Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> I met Chris Cuomo. That would be weird if his brother was the one that yeah, was doing it. Damn, he's really coming back. Yeah, Chris Cuomo with, uh, with Representative Burchett from Tennessee, a Republican who's been pushing... Um, the transparency with with the Schumer amendment and trying to get this info out there. And Ross Coulthart was on the interview as well, but I didn't pick that part out. But Cuomo is talking about a report, I believe, in the UK that, and I'll just let him lay it out here, but that the CIA is actually involved in the U.S. options operations to pick up the remnants of UFOs. And there's some interesting stuff here, both with uh, Chris Cuomo and with Representative Burchett. Today, a new report claims that indeed, as Brother Grush mentioned, CIA, secret program, collecting downed UFOs. Multiple sources say that that agency, maybe involving others, uses U.S. special forces, okay, our best operators. Last time I checked, we don't use them for BS situations, okay, sends U.S. special forces to pick up UAPs and then hand them over to private military contractors to figure out whose they are, what they are, etc. The report claims they've collected at least nine of these, two intact. If you close the door, the only thing this, these people see is green, and that's what this is all about. It's about money, it's about power, it's about control, and, and, the, and the public's had enough of it, thanks to good reporting by y'all. And, and we, I think we're going to get to the bottom of something here. The this, this CIA issue is, is huge. And the fact that I, too, have, have had some conversations and verified some of this stuff is, is that it's true. So, um, you know, of course, I haven't seen it. I don't have to see it. But I, I think the American public deserves to see what the hell's going on with this stuff, because until we get to the bottom of this, so was Bur- that Colonel Sanders? Yeah, that's yeah, that's Tim <laughs> Burchett, who sounds a lot like Colonel oh, Sanders. Okay. But he he followed up Cuomo's kind of setup there and said, yep, I've seen and been told these same things, too. So a member of Congress is saying this. And uh, Ross Coulter, by the way, was also in this interview. He said uh, he said his information is it's way more than just nine that it that number is not even close, that it's bigger than that. But this is just stunning to me, like. This is a news anchor on a news network interviewing a a member of Congress about UFOs and UAP saying, we have them, we've looked at them, we have a couple intact, the rest were crashes, and we are figuring them out. And it, it, the first part there that Birch is saying is the reason that he and others in Congress are getting pushed back on the transparency is that these big military contractors are just in it for the money, and they don't want this information out there because if they have it themselves, they get to continue to profit off of it. But that's all being talked about in public by members of Congress, by people in the military, by former members of the military. Two things that we've talked about before. I am really surprised at how little we seem to care, but I think it just, like, the setup has been a long time coming. (sighs) Yeah. But then secondly, if I were them... 
and I talked about this last week, not apropos of UFOs, but I think it's a part of it. If I were the government and it comes out that you have known about these craft for decades and haven't told us, I'm ready to go January 6th. You know, it's like at that point, give me my pitchfork. Let's go. Because I get it. National security, UFOs, aliens, blah, blah. But one thing, the older I get, the more crotchety I get about you are not the boss of me. I'm pister and pister at the government for this scam they pulled that if you go back to the beginning of our government, there was no question who the boss was. The boss were the people and the bosses were the states. The federal government was not a big deal. And sometime in the last hundred years and specifically the last 15, specifically the last 25, they have hoodwinked us into believing that the federal government's way more important than the states and that the government is way more important than the people, the citizenry. And just like, yeah, yeah, so you don't need to know this. This is, no, no, don't worry about it. We got this. We got that. I, it makes me so angry. You have, you have no right. And I believe that one out of a thousand things they say we don't need to know about, they're right. And the other 999, it's just what that guy said. It's all about just we're keeping this secret because we want the power. We want the money. We think you guys are idiots. You're just it's like the Matrix, you know, when when uh, Neo was just in his little egg and he was just a battery. I think that's honestly not to be super hyperbolic here, but I really think that's how the government looks at us. We're just little tax paying uh, things in a Matrix egg to them. Um. Not allow me to, I guess, try to stand up for the federal government. Um, but the the piece of audio that I was like, oh, it's kind of boring. Garrett Graff was saying in it. Now, part of the issue could be that they have a hold of science that we don't fully understand. So if the government has access to science that they can't figure out, how do you feel about that not being shared with they the public? They are still not the ultimate arbiter of knowledge. And it just like... I'm probably getting over my skis here because I'm emotional about it. And I'm probably in a calmer time would agree like, okay, maybe I understand your point here. But when you lie to me my entire life, my father's entire life, when you play us to the degree that you do, you deserve me being over my skis with anger over something. And you deserve me wanting to take a pitchfork to you over something that I probably shouldn't. Intellectually, I'm probably in the wrong, but I'm emotional now about the way that you have lied to us and played us and hid things. Hell, how could we not know about JFK? I, it's 60 years ago. Everyone involved is dead. I don't think you're over your skis. Um, and I mean, you're, you're covering that because, you know, it pisses you off and that's where you're, that's where you're going. I don't, I don't think there, I don't think there's a, a black and white here. You don't have to tell us all of the scientific details. You don't have to explain how it works or what you know or what you don't know. 
But if this is true, and I, I'm still in the if category, like I find it fascinating. I find it amazing that this many people with important jobs are coming forward and saying what they're saying, but I'm still calling it an if, but if this is true, that's akin to saying you don't need to know that we have nuclear weapons. What we really don't, we, what we really don't need to know is where they are, how they work, you know, what, how secure they are. We don't need to know that. But that they exist is yeah. our right to know. And this well said. Th- this would be an existential change yes. for the human race. And, and we do have a right to know that. I'm not saying that religious people would abandon God if they found out that aliens existed. But they deserve to know that if that is true yes. and we know it. And even if it's not aliens, even if it's still just unknown, we still get to know that. We don't get to know the details of everything. I don't get to know what any military operation is yeah, going you're to do. Retrofitting a weapon that you're using in right. China. I don't. I don't. That's not my. I don't need to know that. That is national security. But what's not is just the fundamental knowledge that this thing exists. Agreed. And that we don't know what it is, or we do know what it is, and it's from somebody, somewhere, something that we don't if fully these get. These things have existed my entire life, and they've known about it. And I die in 20 years, and they still haven't told us, shame on them. That is wrong. Yeah, You shouldn't live an entire human life, and your government knows that there's life somewhere else, interdimensional or interstellar, and they don't tell you that's not right. So KISS played their last show and immediately introduced their holographic band, which will continue to tour now. No. How do, you, how do you tour a hologram? If you're touring a hologram band, yeah, like Whitney, did they have one, and uh, a couple other people like that? Like they've had, they've done it before. Would you pay to go see a hologram? I would not. No. Yeah, I wouldn't. No. I mean, I, maybe watch it on TV. No. <laughs> but then I'd rather just watch an old video when they were good. Yeah. Okay, okay. I'll go see Mini Kiss. So none of us want to go see a hologram, but if if you had a VR headset at home and it was exactly like being at a concert, would you pay a concert ticket price to do it from the comfort of your living room? If it was really, truly close, yes. Like the camera would be right at stage front. Yeah. And it's like you're you're in the pit. Yes. Without getting hit. Not Kiss, but a band I liked, yes. (laughs) Yeah, I think I probably would. Yeah, I think I would too. I mean, just to get out of like the whole parking and waiting and well, I mean you could pause it and go to the bathroom. Yeah. You don't have to miss a song. Yeah. Now that's gonna have to be a thing pretty soon, don't you think? I would hope. Yeah. That would be amazing. Well, and it makes you wonder about like the sphere. Um, I think the sphere in Las Vegas is ve- I have like a weird love for the sphere that I can't quite like explain. <laughs> I just think it's awesome and all the different things they project onto it. But you do wonder if it's going to be obsolete by the time we have a better VR headset option at home. Because if you can just be anywhere at any time, why would you venture out to Las Vegas or London, wherever the other one is, and go to a show like that? Mm-hmm. So. That's interesting. I mean, something to think about the the trade offs. Obviously, you know, you don't get the even in VR, you wouldn't get the full experience. You wouldn't have the the I I guess you could to a degree, but you'd have to have an amazing sound system at home to feel that thump in your chest that you get at a concert when it's like that or to have the smells and this, you know, like there's something too about 
basically partying with a bunch of other people that love the same thing that you love. The smells. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm gonna pass sometimes on the that, smells. Actually, sometimes that's more of a base, you know, like popcorn and hot dogs and that kind of thing. It's not really a concert thing. <laughs> concert smells are uh, different. Uh, speaking of smells, I I pulled this article, Kevin, because it talks about how bad scented candles are for you. Oh. And I was like, Wheels tried to warn us. The soot is bad. <laughs> the the fragrances bad are bad. What? How? Okay, so it lets soot out into your house, so it will. And then also, if you have Dish like uh, asthma or something, the scents can be really hard on hmm. people. So huh. Wheels it. tried to I'm tell a dead us. Man I knew walking, it, man. I got candles. I look like uh, a like police a video from <laughs> Ring Around My Finger. Are thing. they all? I'm, are they straight candles? Or are they like? Are they smelly? Both. Okay. Yeah. Both mix. Yeah. I like the smelling. God, <laughs> Dave's house looks like he's summoning a demon. Oh, it candles. Does. Oh, does All it? the lights off, candles everywhere. I like how they look. And, and like, and regular candles are totally fine. It's, it's just, they're just too much. They're overwhelming. It's too much. Mm-hmm. I think they're nice. Uh, back to McDonald's with their, we found 50 things wrong with our burger. Yeah. Worst marketing, worst confession ever. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm yeah. typically a pretty big fan of like, just tell us the truth, I can take it. But when McDonald's says we found 50 things wrong with our burger, <laughs> I'm like, you could have saved that one. Uh, guess who they're bringing out to uh, to be the ambassador of the new and improved bur- uh, burgers? I hope it's me. Fingers crossed. The Hamburglar. Oh, he's going to steal the good new burgers. Rubble, and then rubble, he's rubble. Throw the old ones in the trash or whatever. They've been plotting his comeback for a while now. Does anyone younger than me know who the burglar is? Yeah, I remember the Hamburglar. Yeah. You, guys yeah. nice. you grew up like an old man. Well, that's true. <laughs> you guys I, I know him? of I know of the Hamburglar, but he never did much. Is you know, he never he made much noise it in the crazy 90s. or is it just me? Why Who, Andrew? We? Yeah. He's hitting the G pretty hard. Yeah, hamburger. He's going with too many syllables. It, it, like, I think Hambler. everyone says the word hamburger weird. Yeah. All right, everybody. Except for me. Go around the room and say it. Hamburger. 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 Chicken sandwich. Wow, I do say it weird. No, hamburger. Oh, man, I do. Oh, yeah, no. you do. You hit the G. Hamburger. I heard it. I was trying to say it normal, and I totally You're messed saying it, it like hamburger. 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 <laughs> wow. What a hamburger. Hamburger. <laughs> well, good for him. I'm glad he's got a job, you know? Yeah. He can turn away from his wife from time. I'm glad I spent the first segment of the show today talking about how we're as good as any show that's ever been on Camel X. Uh, hamburger. 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 French fries. You got us, Dave. You're the best. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. 
Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Hey. 